0: you know, the funny thing about life in general is timing changes everything really quick. And yeah, I remember just being like, Oh, there it goes. And that's kind of when everything went a little sideways.
1: That was the voice of my friend, Ben. And what he's talking about was a moment uh, where I nearly lost my life. I was captured in a massive avalanche in Alaska and that avalanche And my experience there changed my life. And I recount that experience and what happened after it in my new book called Creative Calling. Wake up call. Despite all my experience and extensive backcountry and avalanche training, I had butterflies. It had been storming in Alaska for days now. The snow was measured in feet, not inches. Then we'd had a break in the weather and we were going to take it. Would the conditions hold? With the owner of one of the top skiing operations in the world as our guide and a cadre of some of the world's best skiers, we were setting out to capture some epic photographs. The images we created that day would serve as ads for Nike as magazine covers and in editorial spreads for the top action sports magazines. Once we'd started out, my jitters evaporated. The conditions were perfect, and the athletes swept down steep, untouched mountain faces. They left off cliffs, cornices, and snowy spines with grace and power. The pictures flowed as easily as the snow under our skis. I'll never forget one particular peak. The helicopter touched down on a knife-like ridge and the guide hopped out and shoveled out a small flat area so that the three other athletes and I had a place to gather atop the ridge. As the chopper pulled away, we were left perched atop the snowy peak in silence with 2,000 vertical feet of fresh snow below us. With avalanche precaution protocols complete and an agreement on the route of descent, the first athlete dropped onto the face of the mountain My camera shutter blazed as she ripped one turn and then another, and finally a third before dropping out of sight behind a snowy spine and descending to the valley floor below. I changed positions as another athlete dropped into the line and another one after that. With just me and the guide left up top, we radioed to the others that I'd get into a new position and pause in a safe zone adjacent to the prime ski line in order to capture some images of our guide a legend in the industry himself. With my photo gear tucked safely away, I dropped onto the steep face to move into a new location. One turn, then another, and then it happened. The avalanche. I heard a loud and deep whoop that I'll never forget. For just a moment, time stood still, even though I was traveling at a tremendous pace. Then I was in what avalanche survivors call the white room, named after the color of the snow. But it's not white to the victim, it's pitch black as you're pulled under the surface of the sliding snow. Tumbling blind swept along with a million tons of snow and Volkswagen-sized chunks of ice slowly at first, then 20, 30, 40 miles an hour footage of avalanches can make them appear deceptively slow like a gentle white tide just sweeping in from above no that's not how it goes when you're in an avalanche everything is obliterated in an instant you can have all the training and take every precaution you're still extraordinarily vulnerable to the power of an avalanche my thoughts raced even as my body tumbled I recalled the size of the peak, the depth of the fracture line, the several feet of snow that had fallen over the previous several days, the unforgettable whomp sound. The entire mountain face must have ripped off. Almost immediately, I recognized that I was very likely about to die. If I was going to cheat death, I had less than five seconds to do so.
0: It was actually quite fun skiing when I did it, um, <laughs> which was only minutes before when you did it. I mean, I remember I was standing next to Luke, who was filming it, and I remember looking up. Yeah,
1: you were down in the glacier, right? You were all like, the way I down, know, ha- half half mile away or whatever.
0: Yeah, like the valley floor, and we had kind of all skied out a good ways as you do, um, because you never know what's going to happen. Um, But, yeah, then I remember seeing you make a couple turns and then kind of, oh, like, there it goes. (laughs) And trying to keep one, like, eyes on you so that we knew where you went. But there was also instantly, I think, a fear for all of us of how big it was um, and how far it could go um, that, you know, maybe we weren't, Far enough and it's a lot harder to move on on flat ground than than you want it to be in that. situation.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're like uh and just to paint a little picture for the listeners, like so this peak, is I think it was about like roughly maybe two thousand eighteen hundred vertical feet or something like that, and it was a big, completely loaded with fresh snow, it'd been storming for days and um we'd been like just crushing it for all, all day and this was just like I think mid afternoon, early afternoon. And what's happening in this world? When and and a hundred percent of as ski photographers and athletes, we basically spend a hundred percent of our time or ninety five percent of our time in the one percent most dangerous uh, time to be in the mountains. That's just after a huge fresh snow, and in this case, you know, up in Alaska virtually unlimited helicopter budget and you're skiing things that have never been skied before you're skiing things that are known to be epic lines where with great backdrops. And, and when the sun comes out in Alaska after a storm, it is a truly one of the most beautiful places on earth, but simultaneously dangerous as hell. And so for a group of us who spend, uh, at that time spent rather, almost 100% of our time in the 1% most dangerous conditions it ends up being a little bit of a numbers game and on this day like to your point when you started like you you skied it 35 seconds before I did and and it didn't rip and so whatever happened a little bit of snow settling a quarter of a quarter of a degree of temperature increase and and my experience of skiing that slope was very different. <laughs> was was very was very different than than yours.
0: I mean, it was it was huge. Yeah. It went all the way across the whole like valley face or the peak face that we could see right there. Yeah. So it was it was definitely the largest avalanche I've ever seen with my eyes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when you're way down on the valley floor and you know like I think Luke turned off the camera one because it was we wanted to concentrate on you but two because we were scared yeah. Yeah. and as well you don't want to film something like that I mean yeah
1: yeah your buddy dying right?
0: yeah there's a there's definitely a sentiment of like how this could be really really not something you ever want to see
1: Through a blend of skiing techniques and avalanche survival protocols, a good bit of luck and an adrenaline rush that produced some superhuman strength that's still really hard for me to explain, I escaped with my life intact. Thankfully, no one else was caught in the slide and my injuries were minor. The one thing the avalanche did obliterate that day was my complacency. So often, a new call sounds at a turning point in our lives. In an ideal world, we'd spur reflection and and shake ourselves out of comfortable old routines by way of a Vipassana retreat or some solo road trip with a a blank journal and a nice cup of coffee to reevaluate our priorities and set a new challenge. But if we don't choose this in the normal course of events, we might just get flung down a mountainside, narrowly avoiding death. That can work too.
0: I think one, like, after you've been through something like that, so quick and so intense and there was kind of a real feeling of we need to get out of here. Yeah. In that Valley. Um, yeah. Everybody was still focused on like kind of survival Survival. mode. Yeah. We're still in survival mode. Yeah. That's good. And it was like jump in the heli and get out. But yeah, then, then again, I think the, the, the reason that we didn't really dwell on it or even talk about it more was we had, when couple more days, the... yeah, yeah of, <laughs> of uh of being in that same element, and I think everybody was focusing on keeping their head in the right spot, um but I wish we had, yeah, yeah. right like i wish I wish that there was that that we had taken the time to to really kind of decipher through it because that's that's part of getting better around those experiences.
1: That night of the avalanche, I lay awake and thought for hours. Only five years earlier, I hadn't even been a photographer. And now it seemed as if my career was at its peak. But at the moment when it all was nearly taken from me, I had felt so small and so self-centered. As successful as my life might have appeared to others living my dream, I knew I could create orders of magnitude more impact if I became willing to take real risks again i learned my craft i'd surpassed my ten thousand hours of training i'd built a great career as a photographer but i was still playing it safe because i wasn't listening to the call inside me i'd become complacent sure i was willing to risk my life i mean the case in point putting myself on a snow-loaded slope in alaska for some photographs but coming so close to death in pursuit of an extraordinary photo it forced me to recognize that I craved more than success in commercial photography. I wanted to create extraordinary impact. The next step on my path would be to embrace my unique, curious, adventurous, weird self in all of my imperfection and work to help others achieve their biggest dreams. Every period of creative growth in my life before this had coincided with a risk. Abandoning the security of medical school and taking my grandfather's camera to Europe moving to Steamboat Springs to try action sports photography. The moment I'd experienced success, however, I'd started to shy away from risk almost immediately. Before, the only thing at stake had been a life I didn't want. Now, though, I had things to lose. I had security, a career, a community. If I wanted to stand out, I'd have to be willing to ante up again the things that I'd gained and more. Now, developing as a creator meant accepting the possibility of making something people didn't like or saying something that people didn't want to hear. It would be much easier to keep my head down, make my clients happy, and keep cashing checks until I was too old to hold a camera steady or until my luck turned as it almost had that morning in Alaska. Lying in bed that night with the cold of the day still in my bones I realized that the prospect of taking some genuine creative risks in my career had seemed a whole lot scarier before I had faced down a massive wall of snow in that avalanche. Your life has two big arcs. The first is about acquisition, acquiring knowledge about yourself and the world, figuring out how to meet your own needs. What am I going to do to make a living? Will I get married? Will I buy a house or have kids? The second arc is about contribution you start thinking about how you can serve others and make a lasting impression on the world. We take and then we give. This avalanche sparked a major transition for me. It expanded my circle of awareness from simply meeting my own needs to extending my contribution to the world. I started thinking about ways I could pass on this gift that I'd been given, the gift of creative expression. How might I inspire and empower others to pursue their own creative aspirations. This tectonic shift in my thinking ultimately led to writing my blog, sharing online behind the scenes videos, building a worldwide community for creators, developing the best camera app, and eventually building CreativeLive. It all started on that slope in Alaska. As we move through life, it's really easy to see how really big events, the births of our kids, a diagnosis, even the loss of a job or a close call with death, how those moments grab our attention and focus to take stock. But in reality, the call that we're meant to heed the wake up call. It's always right there for us. If we're just willing to listen a little more carefully. So that is an excerpt from my new book called creative calling and and that was a moment, as I said in the intro, that changed me forever. And I think if you're like me, we've all had these moments. Um, of course, it's it's convenient or easy to look at these moments as these near-death experiences or where trauma happens to us or um, where something very, very inconvenient. We can look back and say, wow, that was a defining moment for me. And I share this only because, well, because of two things. One, it was a defining moment for me. And what it helped me realize was despite all the external validation that I had of becoming a successful photographer and pursuing my dreams and that I was still leaving something on the table, that there was still a calling inside me that I had not answered. And why am I sharing this story is really simple. And it's because in the particular lies the universal. This is my story, right? This is my experience where one time where life just smacked me, knocked the crap out of me. And what it helped me do is pay attention. And by pay attention, I don't mean it casually. I mean like, where are you putting your attention? And so when we say in the particular lies universal, what does that mean? That is, this is a universal that all human beings experience. We all have these moments, big moments in life where we pay attention to what matters to us. Here's what I find interesting. These are obviously really uh, awake moments or woke moments uh, and opportunities to reflect. But also, why wait? If you look back at your life, you have these moments. You can look back and it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 35 or 55. You're listening to this. You can look backwards and you have these moments of massive reflection, uh, awareness. Uh, and and they probably created a change in your A, mindset and B, ultimately, hopefully, behavior. So, we all have these. We can connect the dots looking backwards. This was one for me, but I want to ask the question, why? Why wait? Why wait for these big moments when it's unnecessary? You can make a decision today to create a little space, whether it's today, this afternoon, this evening, a weekend, whatever it is for reflection. And the reflection doesn't have to be Vipassana, it doesn't have to be an avalanche. The reflection that you can carve out for yourself will help you understand what matters to you. You have to ask yourself these big questions. Otherwise, it's going to take something like this in order to get you to pay attention. I believe, and that's part of the, the, the vision behind the book, that we can put ourselves in a position to reflect And that we don't need these big moments. We don't have to wait and we can take action now. So I hope you'll check out the book. My hope is this book is a rallying cry for you to live your best life. And it's also so important to me that this gets into as many hands as possible. If I could have every, my one wish was that every human in the world would be able to read this and take away the message that creativity is as fundamental to us as nutrition and exercise it's what differentiates us from all the other species on the planet and not only is creating small things in small ways important like photographs and dinner and writing computer code and building businesses but it's also the muscle that we use when we're doing that is the same muscle that helps us create the arc of our lives it's just at a different scale So pre-orders mean all the world to me. If you uh, are willing to order the book, please do so. Uh, Send me a screenshot or a DM or an IM or some sort of on social. I'll give you a shout out and it would mean the world to me. Um, So thanks so much for supporting me and the book and most importantly, the vision for creativity and its role in the world. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things.